We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Up Show, presented by the Armchair All-Americans. I'm your host, Chris Phillips, joined, as always, with my co-host, Thomas Floyd. we got a packed show for you today. We're talking about the Gamecocks 2018 season. Uh, in our final season of preview, we're making some predictions today. Also, a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver, Tori Gurley. But before we get to all that, if you're not subscribed yet, I'm not sure what you're doing at this point with the season about to kick off 11 days from now. The best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. By far, be sure to go online, rate, subscribe, share, and download the Spurs Up show on iTunes, the Stitcher app, wherever you get your media, wherever you get your podcast, you can check us out there, the Spurs Up show. Be sure to check us out on our social media as well. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Armchair S Car, also Facebook, Armchair South Carolina. Our podcast, the Spurs Up show, is on social media as well at the Spurs Up show on Twitter. Um, and also, like I said, this is a podcast presented to you by the Armchair Americans. Please be sure to go to armchairamericans.com for all of your latest breaking Gamecock news coverage. Our podcast, of course, the Spurs Up Show, uh, and all of our other coverage there. We cover everything from collegiate to professional uh, sports. We also do stuff like esports. A lot of really, really exciting stuff going on at armchairallamericans.com, especially with the football season about to get into full swing. So please be sure to go check us out at armchairallamericans.com. So like I said, I was talking to you, Tom, in the pre-show. I'm really, really excited for this episode. We've been breaking everything down from offense, defense, special teams. Today, we get to overall kind of kind of take a look at the season itself, make some Make some predictions. Really get into it. It's crazy to think the game week is next week. This is going to be our last podcast without a game during that week. Um, as the time that we're recording this on Tuesday night, the 21st, we're just 11 days from kickoff. Um, the season, it's crazy how quickly it's gotten here, how long it's taken to get here, but how quickly it's gotten here as well, thinking just next week we'll be previewing and breaking down Coastal Carolina. Um, but again, Thomas Floyd joins me. Tom, great to have you back on, um, and I hope you're as excited as I am. I'm it's great to be here. I'm pulling about the season. Football's back. It's official. Yeah, and it's just great to just jump in and kind of make some predictions. We can see how how yeah. absurdly wrong we'll be in a couple of months. So that's always a good really thing. Wrong. So <laughs> so instead of us going what I predict, we go undefeated. So yeah, it's so always a fun time. I, we we definitely need to have a show later in the year where like a like a freezing cold takes type deal. If yeah. we're just like a hundred laying off for sure. Um, but like I said, we've been breaking everything down: offense, defense, any every type of position unit you can think of. Today, I just really want to talk about the season itself, the biggest questions heading into 2018, um, and that's really what I want to start. We're going to get into our predictions a little later in the show, but I want to you know really want to start. And Tom, me and you can go back and forth. I'll give you my you know three of my biggest questions, one of my, or we'll go one by one uh, and you give me yours. We'll go back and forth. So I want to start Tom, you know, really my biggest one and maybe the most obvious one is can Debo Samuel stay healthy for an entire season? I mean, to me, that's going to be kind of the, the basis and really how South Carolina does this season. If they have a really, really great year, it's because Debo Samuel is able to stay on the field and stay healthy. We know what he did through, you know, two and a half, two and a half games a year ago. I mean, he was absolutely electric. I think he averaged over 20 yards per touch. We broke him down constantly on the offense, on the special teams. He was actually just ne- named a first-team All-American preseason by ESPN and AP Top 25 as an all-purpose player. Um, and, you know, Tom, to me, again, I think this season, the success of this season is going to hinge on the health of Debo Samuel. And to me, that is a huge question because he has not played a full season 
since he's been at Carolina? Well, I mean, when you look at it, and obviously we played so well against NC State and Missouri, and those were two, probably two of our best two games last year other than Michigan, and they were both because he played so well. And then you look at Kentucky, you know, opening drive, throws past him, takes to the house for a touchdown. And obviously the offensive production wasn't there that game that would have been there if Debo wasn't there, if Debo was there, I mean. But I think that, you know, if he can stay healthy this year and not get dinged up at all, it's going to be the difference between 8-4 and four and 10-2 and two, or even really 9-3 and three and 7-5 and five, it could end up being a difference between because he's obviously supposed to be such a big role in the offense according to what all the coaches are saying. But my biggest question is, you know, can the running game be there to support Bentley? Because obviously last year Rico Dattle was hurt the entire time. Tyson Williams could never – get it going really, you know, take it to the actual field. And then A.J. Turner's on every down every down back. And you, he, you can't expect him to go out there and perform like that. But I think that, you know, losing Debo early in the season couldn't, you know, could have had less of an effect if Rico would have been on the field or Tyson would have had the production that everyone expected. But I just think that they have to have, be there this year because you have to have a reliable running game. So, Bentley, everybody knows on third and four, third and three, you know, what South Carolina's doing most of the time. If it's longer than that, they're throwing the ball because if we don't have any backs, like we know could go out there and get you three last year. But I just think that, you know, if they're there this year, then, you know, we could probably run the table. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, obviously, I think anyone that watched it any time, any bit of South Carolina football a year ago knows that South Carolina has got to be better on third and fourth and shorts way too many times a year ago. And granted, it probably had something to do with the extremely predictable play calling where South Carolina would get in a bunch formation. Everybody in the stadium, including including you and I, knew what South Carolina was doing, yeah. running it up the middle, trying to get a yard or two. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they've talked about it a lot in preseason camp, obviously. You know, I, the thing that really encouraged me, I wanted to get to this on the show at some point. I'm glad we got to it here, Tom. You know, Bobby Bentley and kind of, you know, they've obviously closed off coaches' availability as far as media is concerned. But Bobby Bentley said something last week to me that was really, really encouraging. They asked him, you know, is it really going to be more of a running back by committee approach? Do you want to have one guy? And he flat out said, we we want to have one guy carrying the load. If we got a guy and he gets in there and get hot and gets hot, we'd love to have that one guy. I mean, we'd love to have that guy step up. He he mentioned the biggest thing a year ago that stopped them from that was injuries. I mean, Rico Dowdle obviously going down. Tyson Williams was nicked up here and there. And that's something maybe we didn't take into account quite enough or didn't think of quite enough. But I think if you can have all three of those guys healthy for this season, I think Rico Dowdle is going to be your clear-cut number one running back. I've heard a lot of great things about what he's doing in fall camp. You see – you know, obviously, there's very, very limited video that we're seeing from practice, but the videos you do see, Rico Dowdle looks explosive. He looks quick. He looks tough. And, you know, obviously, the running game right now, they have a goal of five and a half yards per carry, which would be a fantastic number. And I think South Carolina might win the SEC if they hit if they hit five and a half yards per carry. But yeah, I think if South crazy. Carolina can be four, over four yards a carry, four and a half, I think, would be a great number. And, and I agree. I don't think Jake Bentley's the kind of quarterback, you know, with all due respect, he's not the guy. I don't think he should be asked to go throw the ball 40 times. He's not, in Drew, game. Locke. He's, he, he's not Drew Locke. He's not just going to throw it all over the yard. I don't know if he's really in the offense to do that either, but I'm not sure he's that type of quarterback. He needs some sort of a running game. If South Carolina is going to take that next step from an eight, nine win team to possibly challenging Georgia for the sec East. Um, my, my second biggest question, Tom, Relates to the defensive backfield. You know, will the youth in the defensive backfield step up? Obviously, you know, Will Muschamp has harped on it over and over again, the lack of experience at safety. Obviously, you've got Steven Montak, but from there, you know, you've got a lot of transfers, a lot of youngsters, JT Ebay, the the, the, uh, the Rice transfer, Jamel Cook, the Southern Cal transfer, they're waiting on his eligibility. Um, Nick Harvey has played back there as well. Jamias Williams steps in in his first season at safety. How will he do? And then guys in the defensive backfield like Israel Mukwamu, J.C. Horn, who they're extremely high of. But even though they're high on them, there's a ton of talent. How quickly will those guys mature and how big of an impact will they make early on, to me, is a huge question going into 2018. I I agree there. I think that, you know, especially when you look at Sacramento potentially starting J.C. Horn at the other corner opposite Rashad Fenton and then playing Keyson Nixon in the nickel. Or in the yeah, Nick will be right. Call for that, but mm-hmm. I think that there obviously are big questions across the board there, especially with losing Taven Jackson recently, a guy that's been in your program for a year that you could have brought. You know, he could play valuable snap sheet, but obviously secondary is a big question. And something else, not a lot of people are talking about is what is losing Scott Morgan do to you? Because obviously he was such a tremendous player last year, over I think close to 100 tackles, four, three or four picks at least. I'm yeah. pretty sure. And just you don't 
you don't lose a guy like that and not see it on your defense. So I'm wondering how big is that going to affect going to be in a freshman are forced to play this year or maybe a redshirt freshman like Demonte Stanley. If he's forced to play this year, what's it going to be like? And how can they if they can they stop the run? Can they play in covers like Sky did? What's it going to what's it going to be like? Because I just don't know right now. Yeah, you make a great point. It's funny. We actually did our position unit preview today and we talked about the linebacking core and that's definitely one of the big questions. I mean, I think, you know, obviously Sky Moore, one of just a few players to lead a team in tackling all four years he was there, which when you really sit back and think about that is just an amazing feat. Yeah, it's what crazy. He did. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy stat. Obviously tied for the school record with 14 interceptions. Um, who's going to step up and kind of be that quarterback of the defense? I think T.J. Brunson's going to probably need to be that guy. I think T.J. Brunson's an extremely capable player, by the way. I mean, was leading – he was basically leading the team in tackles a year ago, and you know, it just kind of worked out where Sky Moore took over and had, you yeah. know, led the team in tackles. But T.J. Brunson was right there the entire year, pretty much leading the team the entire year. I expect him to have another really big season. Bryson Allen Williams needs to stay healthy as well. Sherrod yeah, Green is a really nice, really nice piece. But you're right, I think depth is, you know, somewhat of an issue. you got some capable guys. I think Danny Fennell's a good piece. Eldridge Thompson's gotten a lot better and put on a ton. I think he put on like 20 pounds in the offseason, which I mean, Danny Fennell's more a lot. Good. You know, more of an end. I would more of a bug. Right, more of a bug. More of a bug. Right. My, right. my main yeah, question kinda, would be is like coverage linebackers. How are they going to perform with yeah. Sky not being there? Because you know, usually if we played against teams with good tight ends, they got locked down by Sky a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I think just from the leadership perspective, I mean, again, I, I agree with you in the sense that you know the way that us let's let's say the way that a Georgia is going to feel the effect of losing a Roquan Smith. I mean, yeah. you don't just lose a player of that caliber and not feel it to some degree. It's just can South Carolina have someone or have a couple of players at least fill the shoes enough to where it's not a noticeable missing piece from the defense in 2018. Um, my last question for this team in 2018, Tom, and it may be the most important question for me of all. Um, a year ago, it's funny, I remember doing our predictions, our, you know, kind of before the season, same show we're doing now. We talked about can South Carolina grow up and go on the road and win games? And South Carolina proved that immediately. They won, it, they won against NC State and Charlotte, which was a neutral site. They went on the road and beat Mizzou, and after the first two games, it kind of felt like they got their that monkey off their back. Well, South Carolina turned around and laid an egg in their two biggest night games, which the Kentucky game, which followed that Missouri game, all the hype surrounding it. South Carolina fans, if they win, they're going to be ranked. South Carolina would be 3-0. and The Will Muschamp era is off to a fast start. South Carolina lays an egg. Uh, fast forward to the Clemson game last year. Same type of height, the biggest, and I, I said it, the biggest South Carolina Clemson game since 2013. I even went as far to pick South Carolina to win that game, which was another freezing cold take of mine. But <laughs> I picked South Carolina. I picked South Carolina to win that game, and the Gamecocks again laid an egg. To me, the biggest question for this team has South Carolina taken that next step? Have they grown up? And how are they going to handle prosperity in 2018? Because there's a decent chance. When you take a look at their schedule, there's a decent chance South Carolina, if they can upset Georgia, which a lot of people have them doing, South Carolina could start 5-0, 6-0, 7-0. Has South Carolina matured enough? And even in that game against Georgia, can they go out and control their emotions? Because that was a big thing that I noticed that players said after Kentucky and Clemson. They said they let the moment get to them. They let their emotions get to them, especially in the Kentucky game. Has South Carolina grown up as a team from 2017 to 2018 where they can really handle the moment and not let the lights be too bright for them? Because I think that was a huge, huge issue a year ago. I agree. I think that, you know, something that Tory Gurley says later in the interview, because I, I asked him about, you know, Alabama and then they go the next week to lose Kentucky, he said, he said, we just were so focused on, you know, we would just beat Alabama that we didn't really prep that well for Kentucky. You know, they laid an egg in Lexington and obviously lost that game in 2010. Could even have a better season then. But, you know, my last question is, can Jake Bentley show up in big games? Because when you look at both of the Clemson games he's played in, Georgia last year he was all right, and then both of the Florida games he's played in, he's played it pretty atrocious, to be honest. And I, I just – he has to play better in those games because, you know, he talked about never again. They'll never get beat that bad or get you know, not, like that – get beaten that bad you know an effort standpoint and it just seemed like last year you know he throws that pick six and it just all goes downhill and can he if he does make a mistake can he come back from it and not just be the same guy he's been the last few years in big games but I think if he can take that next step and play above average in those big games against Clemson and Florida and Georgia then we're going to be set up for a great season yeah, no, and I think I was actually going to say I think our last points kind of tie in together because I think a team really reflects the 
It, you the reflect the attitude of two people, your head coach and your quarterback. And I think Jake Bentley's got to do a bet. I agree with you 100%. And this is something good friend of our show, Brad Crawford, who has said a ton on his Twitter account as well. Jake Bentley's got to be better in big games. There were too many times a year ago where he looked rattled. He looked scared. I'm back there. I mean, I'm not afraid to yeah. say that. Against Clemson, I mean, it's just too many times that's happened again in those big-time moments. And, uh, you know, you, I, you hate to put it all on him because as an offense, they just didn't have it together and didn't have it clicking, you know, at certain times. But Jake Bentley, it all falls on you. You're the leader. You're the quarterback. You're the guy that makes that ship go. All those guys in the huddle look to you every single play. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. Jake Bentley – a huge part of South Carolina's success, especially in the offensive ball, is going to fall on the shoulders of Jake Bentley. And can he can he take the next step from being a good, solid quarterback to being a top of the line, top three or four SEC quarterback? I, mean, I agree with you. That's going to be a huge question. I mean, really, it comes down to: is he going to be Aaron Murray or is he going to be Connor Shaw? I mean, just really, yeah. if you think about it, mm-hmm. is he going to be Aaron Murray and have this status of you know plays well against mediocre to poor competition, or even you think about Taj Boyd? Really, I mean, obviously. Taj won ACC championships, but he could never beat South Carolina and just would freeze in those games. But is he going to be a Taj Boyd or an Aaron Murray, or is he going to be similar to Connor Shaw and Deshaun Watson? I mean, really is the best way to put it to me. Yeah, and that's that's a great point you bring up because I actually talked to Barrett Salee. I think I've probably mentioned this interview a bunch on this podcast. But, you know, we interviewed Barrett Salee a couple months ago, I think back in April, and I, and I kind of asked him, does – does Jake Bentley have somewhat of an Aaron Murray syndrome where the biggest knock on Aaron Murray his first couple years at Georgia is he could not win the big game. I mean, just flat out could not win the big game, whether it was his fault or not. Again, whether it's unfair, fair criticism, whatever, as the quarterback, that falls on you. And, and you know, I asked him, is it, you know, does he have a little bit of that in him? And he kind of agreed. He agreed that this is going to be a big year for Jake Bentley. He's got to take the next step. He's got to develop as a passer. He's got to be better in big games. I agree with you hundred percent. It's a great point. And, you know, again, it's it's going to be really, really interesting to see, you know, how it all plays out. Um, Want to talk about our season predictions. Let's just get right into it. I mean, I, I'm yeah. really excited, you know, to talk about this. Um, I want to break it down like this, Tom. I want to kind of go through. I'll let you start. Just go ahead and run me through. What are your for sure wins? When you look at this schedule, and I'll go through the schedule really quick before we get started, too. South Carolina's foot, 2018 football schedule, in case you've been living under a rock and just don't know. Um South Carolina's schedule goes like this. Home to Coastal, home to Georgia, home to Marshall, at Vanderbilt, at, at Kentucky, home to Missouri, home to Texas A&M, bye week, home to Tennessee, at Ole Miss, at Florida, home to Chattanooga, and at Clemson. Um, so I want you to talk about, Tom, what are your for sh- out, of, out of that schedule, what are your for sure, sure wins? What are you chalking up as a for sure loss? What are your toss-ups? Give me your most important game on the schedule, and then what is your overall record, kind of your prediction for how the season is going to play out? I mean, I think obviously Coastal, Marshall, and Chattanooga are obviously your three cupcake games. Easily should win those by at least 20 points, in my opinion. Then you look at, you know, at Vandy and at UK. Vandy's a team we've had a long streak over. Doubt that changes this year. I would for sure win that one. Kentucky, you know, if you don't win that, like you said, how I think you said, Barrett Slee said, if, you know, Kentucky's a game you're most worried about, then you're going to have a bad season. I agree there. I think we have to beat Kentucky this year, have to end that four in a row, five in a row, whatever it is. Missouri and Tennessee at home, I think are easy wins to me. I don't think Missouri is going to be the team everybody's expecting, really. I think they're going to be good. I think they'll be better in Florida, but I don't think they're going to be – I just don't think Drew Locke's going to be all that, what people are acting like. But, you know, obviously I think Tennessee's still going to be down. I, obviously, you know, I just think that those, you know, Coastal Marshall, at Mandy, at UK, Mizzou, Tennessee, Chattanooga, all those should be guaranteed wins. And to me, my only guaranteed loss is probably Clemson, you know. Because, you know, UGA is a tall slope to me because no one really knows right now what Georgia has, especially losing Zamir White recently. And then, obviously, we go two Florida and two Ole Miss, and most people are picking one of those two for us to lose. So, I'll, I'll throw those two in the, those three in the toss-ups. And then my most important game has to be Georgia Week 2 because if you beat Georgia Week 2 and beat them soundly like we did when we went 35-7 to Tiger Girls last year there, and you say, never one here is Sandstorm again. If you go out there and beat Georgia 35-7 to when they're one of the top three, four teams in the country – People are going to know South Carolina's the real deal this year, you know. But I don't think thirty-five to seven is probably what's going to happen. I think it'll be a close game with Georgia eventually winning. And my three loss, my overall record for the year is going to go nine and three with losses to Georgia, Clemson, and Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I like the take. I mean, I, I'll tell you this just kind of before I dive into mine. I, I think I think South Carolina worst case scenario. I mean, I think worst case they're looking at eight and four. I yeah. mean, maybe you could say seven and five if injuries occur, but. 
with, with this team, I think worst case you're looking at eight and four. I think nine and three is a safe bet. I'll go over mine really quickly, and I want to talk about the two. Obviously, comparing to the comparing to the 2017 record and why we think this year could be better or worse, kind of like we've done with the position units as well. But overall, for me right now, my guaranteed wins: Coastal, Marshall, no surprise. You've got at Vandy. I think at Kentucky, I'm just going to chalk it up as a win. At some point, South Carolina's got to beat Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, So give the benefit of the doubt at Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, and Chattanooga. So I think me and you and I actually have the same ones. We have seven, seven guaranteed wins. And again, to me, I I just think that's the worst case scenario. I mean, I, I just, you know, you could say that South Carolina could lose to Kentucky for a fifth straight year, but it's just hard for me to comprehend that happening. It really is. I mean, it's possible at some point. The way I look at it, Tom, at some point I have to pick South Carolina to beat Kentucky, and they're gonna, they're gonna eventually beat them. So I, it's funny we talked about freezing cold takes. I actually was looking at our Instagram from a year ago, and I, I picked South Carolina to beat Kentucky last year, forty-one to ten. So that that Jeez. did not pan out. Yeah. So, anyways, I've got those seven as my guaranteed wins. I'm I'm on the same boat as you. My only for sure loss, I think, is at Clemson until South Carolina can prove to me they can. They can stay within two touchdowns of Clemson. I'm not putting that in the toss-up category. I'm sorry. Especially being on the road in Death Valley, it'll probably be at night. Clemson will probably be 11-0. But that game to me is also intriguing as well. If if South Carolina does have a really great season and comes in that game, even if they come in that game 9-2, I mean, that's going to probably be a pretty highly ranked matchup. That could be a very intriguing game. I mean, if Clemson's undefeated, I think it would be a number like – 15 or 13 versus number one or two, probably. I mean, you could, yeah, I mean, it, that could be a very intriguing game. But, again, until South Carolina after last season especially, until they can prove to me they can stay within two touchdowns of Clemson, I, I'm I'm talking that up as a sure loss. Yeah. Uh, my toss-ups, I have Georgia home to Texas A&M at Ole Miss at Florida. Again, I, I mean, I think, you know, we obviously know the importance and the um, – what what the UGA game means? Texas A and M I have in the toss up category simply because I don't think they're all that great. But you've lost four in a row to Texas A and M, similar to Kentucky, and they've got way more talent than Kentucky's got. At Ole Miss, I see as a trap game. It's a game I I honestly can say I'm I'm terrified of. I think I may feel a little better throughout the season when I watch Ole Miss play and see just how bad that defense is. But right now, that's a game that falls on a weird place in the schedule it's it's just a weird place to go Ole Miss can't go to a bowl game have nothing to lose that's what kind of scares you and then at Florida is a toss-up simply because it's in the swamp and you never know what can happen in the swamp South Carolina's I think only won two or three times there in their entire yeah twice in their entire history so you cannot just chalk that one up as a win in my opinion that's got to be a toss-up and you know, I wouldn't be surprised out of those last two, Ole Miss and Florida, to see South Carolina split one of those last two or go one and one in those two games. Um, you know, I went back and forth on this a lot, and I agree with you. Um, my The most important game of the season to me is Georgia. And you know, a lot of people, you know, we ran this poll. I'm going to pull it up here in just a second. We're running a poll actually right now that's going on, but we were, we've been running it on an armchair South Carolina. I wanted to kind of get a gauge of the fans, what they thought, you know, most important game of the season was. And right now, there's 157 votes in, but 73% of the votes going with Georgia, 18% at Kentucky, 7% saying other for the most important game of the season, 2% saying Texas A&M. Um, you know, to me, it just it has it has to be Georgia in this sense. Even if you lose that game, if you look good doing so, if Jake Bentley and the office show offense show promise, if you go toe to toe with one of the best teams in the entire country you're going to be set up for a really good season. I don't – you know I mean? You're, you're going to come out of that yeah. game with a lot of confidence. I mean, you follow up that game with Marshall. You're going to be able to build confidence there. You know, you get you go at Vandy, at Kentucky. You know, you're going to be able to – you should be able to win those two as well. I mean, you're looking to still getting off at, what, a 5-1 and one start, possibly 6-1, and 7-1. and one. It's going to set you up to have a really great year. That game – Obviously, if you can win that game, it's just a huge plus in the icing on the cake. And we've all probably heard the the narrative over and over. You know, you get a two-game lead in the SEC East. You have the tiebreaker with Georgia. It sets you up. To me, and I'll tell you this, Tom, just kind of diving into this, if South Carolina beats Georgia and doesn't win the SEC East, I'm be pissed. it's a travesty in my opinion. Yeah, it, it really is because at that point, again, it, all of that talk and how much import, you know, how much importance have been put in that Georgia game I mean, I will say at that point, the most important game of the season does become a Kentucky. It does become a Texas A&M because you can't spoil what you just did in week two when you go on the road to Lexington or host the Aggies in Columbia. So, 
you know, but I think just right now to get a gauge on this football team, I think Georgia week two is going to set the tone for the entire season. Obviously, if you beat Georgia, I think you're set up for an absolutely fantastic, maybe a special year, you know, but if you at least show promise, you go toe to toe with one of the best, you have a good outing. Jake Bentley shows he's progressed. He can play well in a big game. I think that's going to set South Carolina up for success down the road for the rest of the season. Um, my overall prediction for South Carolina, you know, this is another one I kind of went back and forth on again. I think eight and four, seven and five is really worst case. I'm going to go with nine and three for my prediction. I'm going to say they're going to have losses to Georgia, Ole Miss, and Clemson. I've gone back and forth on that Georgia game, and I really may pick them to beat Georgia the week of the game. But right now, nine and three feels like the right spot for this team. It, it does. It just eight and four doesn't feel quite good enough, and ten and two is just I just can't push myself to ten and two right now. I I need to see it. I need to see it happen before I believe it, Tom. If that makes sense. Before I'm going to say South Carolina is going to go ten and two and get double digit wins for the first time since 2013. I need to see it happen, but. I think South Carolina nine and three is extremely realistic for them. Um, you know, and again, I, I still think you got a you got a great chance to get double digit wins if everyone can stay healthy. If South Carolina can find some answers to the questions that we asked a little bit ago. Um, speaking of that, like I said, we've done this with our position. You know, our our uh, season preview series talking about offense, defense, special teams. Why they'll be better? Why they'll be worse? Well, I wanted to take that into this as well with the record. South Carolina a year ago was eight and four in the regular season, nine and four with their bowl win over Michigan. I want to talk about, Tom, why Why do you think South Carolina could have a better record or why do you think they'll have a r- worse record? I'll start with why I think they could have a better record in 2018. For me, the biggest thing is that South Carolina is just more experienced. I mean, they returned 14 starters from a year ago. Jake Bentley's a year older. You get a, you basically get the entire offense back. Uh, everyone's healthy. You get Debo Samuel back. You lose Sky Moore on defense and you lose some key pieces, but overall it's Will Muschamp getting another year in that system. Javon Kinlaw has grown up in that system and should be an absolute beast on the defensive line. DJ Wanham is in his junior season, you know, and Will Muschamp has recruited well enough, I think, in the secondary to have some young guys coming to make a big impact. But overall, I just think, you know, South Carolina and Will Muschamp's first season, I think South Carolina, you know, was one of, I think they were the only team in FBS. I remember this stat, the only team in FBS to have their leading passer and rusher both be a freshman. It was Jake Bentley and Rico Dowdle and South Carolina won six games. You know, you go to next, you know, last year, South Carolina wins, Eight games regular season, nine games of the bowl whenever Michigan had those guys being sophomores. It only makes sense as this experience gets as they get older, they're gonna get better. As they get better, this team gets better. And I think that's a reason why South Carolina could eclipse that eight nine win mark in two thousand eighteen. And I agree. I think you make a lot of good points, especially about the defense. But to me, what you're supposed to be worried about with South Carolina and Will Muschamp, especially, is can the offense show up? And I think that this year, the answer is going to be yes. I think the offensive line looks a lot better. Obviously, you know, Corey Helms, Allen Knott were both, you know, good pieces. But I think that when you put Sidarius Hodgson and Zach Bailey on the, together at guard, I just think it's going to be hard for somebody to just – I just think they're going to be a really good combination. They're going to be able to move a lot better. Zach Bailey is going to be dominating defense tackles for a long time, probably going to be a guy who plays on Sundays a lot. And I just think that – you know, with Brian McClendon as the OC, I think that he's going to be more explosive with the ball. You're going to see more spur your top play calling than Kurt Roper, which was just sometimes awful to watch. But I have a lot of faith in McClendon, especially with what they've been saying, you know, during, you know, coaches' interviews, that they're being more explosive with the offense. They're doing more creative things. I like to hear that. I think those two reasons with the offensive line and McClendon as the OC, can get, if that offense can get the boost to where they're 25 or 28 points a game instead of 21, I think it'll make a big difference this year. Yeah, and no, I agree with you. And I, and I, you know, it's funny. I'd be a lot more worried about the McClendon hire if they didn't bring in Dan Werner. I, I yeah. think he's going to be a game changer. And I, I just like the aspect of that Brian McClendon is not going to be doing this by himself. He's got a guy in Dan Werner that has seen it work. He's been part of some of the best offenses in the SEC. He's transformed some quarterbacks. What he did with Chad Kelly and Bo Wallace at Ole Miss. I mean, he's been around Alabama wow. as an offensive analyst. He knows what good football looks like. So I, you know, I think that's going to help Brian McClendon. And you brought up a great point. Don't forget about Donnell Stanley either at center. You know, it's crazy. That was one of my big questions and something I was kind of worried about. But the more that I hear South Carolina coaches, players talk about him, South Carolina, has, they might be in a really good spot with Donnell Stanley. I mean, Muschamp has said in the scrimmages they've had no issues with snaps. I mean, Donnell Stanley was named a Remington preseason award watch list nominee. I mean, you he's don't never play center. He's never played the position. So – Somebody knows something maybe we don't know. So, yeah. you know, and, and nothing else. South Carolina has three guys over 300 pounds at the middle of their offensive line, guard, center, guard. So, like you said, I think that trio of 
Zach Bailey, Donnell Stanley, Sidarius Hutcherson gives it, it, that's automatically, in my opinion, going to make the South Carolina running game better. There's going to be more holes there. They're going to be able to impose their. I think will, they're going to get a lot better push this year than last year. And I think it's something you're going to notice big time is where the line of scrimmage is once the running back gets the ball. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. So wanna gotta flip the other side, Tom. What what do you think would be the reason if South Carolina were to have a worse record than they have in two thousand seventeen, what what would it be? I mean, you look at last year and six of our nine wins were about eight points or less. Obviously we had the ball roll our way a lot, especially, you know, against you look at Louisiana Tech, you know, Texas A and M obviously didn't go our way, blew a ten point lead. But I just think that there it's rare in the SEC for Florida and Tennessee to be garbage in the same year it, it offered them to both be garbage and then it happened in the same year is something that's unheard of and I think that helped us a lot last year and it helped boost us to eight wins but beat Tennessee by six and beat Florida by eight and those are both teams I feel like especially with how they played last year we should have beat by two touchdowns or more easily and I don't think they're going to be as bad this year obviously I think Tennessee's still going to be pretty bad but I think Florida's going to be better I don't think I don't believe the hype saying that they're going to finish second in the east and win eight or nine games don't don't believe that but I think that those two teams, those two teams can maybe come. I don't think Tennessee, but I think, you know, you look at that last three games, you go to Ole Miss, to Florida, and then at Chattanooga and at Clemson, you could end up going one and three in those games, and that would not be good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and mine kind of is similar to yours as well. I mean, I think that the one thing that's going to hold South Carolina back and why they could take a step back if they do record-wise, the, the biggest thing to me is that the tide just – the ball doesn't bounce your way in those close games. Yeah. You're not able to force those turnovers you were able to get a year you know, a year ago. I, you know, we talked to Michael Felder a couple weeks ago. You probably heard – you guys probably heard the show. Michael Felder talked about it. I mean, it's, it's okay to admit that turnovers a lot of times are luck. They just are. I mean, the ball bounces your way. You recover it. You're in the right position at the right time. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So is South Carolina going to continue to be able to be, be on the right side of those turnovers? And I, I'm not doubting they will. I mean, I, I know that South Carolina, from a culture standpoint, they're all about the ball. That, that's kind of ingrained in them. And I think that's that's a product of what you saw a year ago. But it doesn't always work out that way. And, and you just hope that South Carolina continue, can continue to play well as an underdog, be able to capitalize on turnovers, um, and, ha- and and stay positive in that number. Because I think that that could be – that to me would be the only thing that could really derail their season if if South Carolina turns the football over and doesn't win the uh, the turnover battle game in game out. So um, that's pretty much going to wrap us up. Without uh, actually not going to wrap us up because I want to go over what our armchair South Carolina team their predictions as well. I didn't want to leave out those guys: uh, Austin Sylvie, Noah Pathea, uh, Ben Parsons, a good friend of ours who's actually the NHL department head who is a student at the University of South Carolina. Um, but I want to go over kind of what those guys said. Again, you can give us your feedback, your reactions on social media. We'd love to hear it. Uh, we'll probably have a graphic going out tomorrow, too, with all of our predictions, which should be a lot of fun. We'd love to hear what you guys are predicting for the season. I've actually – it's funny. We actually ran a poll. I'll pull that up right now, what the uh, the majority, Tom, of Twitter users – the Twitterverse thinks how many games South Carolina is going to win. Okay, so we got the poll right now. Um, it's only been up for an hour, but we already got 103 votes on it. How many games will the Gamecocks win this season? We've got zero to five, six to eight, nine to eleven, and twelve plus. Nine to eleven lead the way right now. Eighty-one percent think nine to eleven wins. So, a lot of people expecting the Gamecocks to have a and good think, season. Uh, and I think most of those people who are clicking nine to eleven are clicking more than nine side than eleven. Oh yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, second most is six to eight with fourteen percent. <laughs> Funny. Third most is t- twelve plus with five percent, and then zero to five has zero percent. We win twelve plus games. I will literally <laughs> let anybody who any one of my friends who listen to this podcast, you can come on the show and say anything you want to for five <laughs> minutes, and we'll upload it if we win twelve games. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that, yeah, we're, we're going to have to do something. That's for sure. But want to go over again what our armchair South Carolina team what they predicted for the season. Uh, Austin Sylvie. Um, predicted the Gamecocks go 10-2, and two, uh, only losses to Ole Miss and Clemson. He actually has South Carolina winning the SEC East. So he is uh, one of the few that's actually got the Gamecocks going to Atlanta, losing in Atlanta in the SEC championship game. Um, I'll give you guys some kind of his comments. Says there are concerns with depth in most spots, not called wide receiver. Back in the defense is still under construction. But the silver lining is all the secondary players are getting practice in each position. J.C. Horn, Hank Manos, Brad Johnson, he says, are a few of the younger players he sees having bigger impacts. Um, thinks if they beat Georgia early, which he believes they will, the SEC East is theirs to lose just two weeks into the season. You know, again, Tom, I mean, just, you know, I know Austin can't really speak for himself back to what I'm about to say, but I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think his prediction's spot on. Again, it's just for me, I need to see it before I can, before I can predict that. Yeah, I need to the, see it happen. 
And the only thing I would say with him is that him saying Hank Manos is going to be a big role this year, I don't see where that's going to happen at really other than like maybe PAT and, and kicks. But I don't really get where he's coming that from. But J.C. Horn and Brad Johnson, I agree with the two players that people aren't – well, J.C. Horn's obviously a lot of people talking about, but Brad Johnson's a guy that's not a lot, not a lot of people are talking about that I can see have a big impact this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Hank Manos from a depth perspective, I think he yeah, can be a he'll big, be big player there. because when you run that up-tempo offense, somebody's going to probably going to have to spell Donnell Stanley time to time, and I, they're really high on Manos, obviously. Yeah. But anyways, Noah Pathea, our other uh, member of our armchair South Carolina team, he's got the Gamecocks 8-4 and four, um, with losses to Georgia, Clemson, Texas A&M, and he says either Ole Miss or Florida. So, uh, you know, I mean, not completely off base I mean, I there. I mean, it. I can see it. I, I definitely can. I mean, I you know, I – I think it would be extremely disappointing and, you know, you know, just disappointing to lose the Texas and M for a fifth year in a row. But I can't say I, I can't say that I can't see that happening. Um, well, Carolina that, fans, dude, like we expect that, yeah, like that to happen. That, well, that's the reason I almost put Texas A&M as the most important game of the season. I mean, I, re- that I, was really for me between Georgia and Texas A&M because I think A&M could be a swing game this season for South Carolina because on one, on one side of the coin, the, the performance against Georgia is so important, but on the other side of the coin, if you don't beat Kentucky and Texas a and it's really for not whether you beat them or not. So, you know, we'll see. But anyways, uh, Ben Parsons, again, uh, NHL uh, department head, also a student at the University of South Carolina, uh, has contributed for us a little bit as well. We included him on this. He actually has the Gamecocks going 10-2, and two, SEC East champs, losses to Clemson and probably Ole Miss, he says. He has them losing in Atlanta in the SEC championship game. But two, two of the uh, – you know, two of our writers of South Carolina Atlanta, Tom, what do you think? Uh, I disagree. <laughs> I just don't think they have it. I don't think they have the roster depth to beat Georgia, and I don't think that – I think they lose to Georgia. I think realistically what's probably going to happen is they're going to go – they're going to go one and one to start with and then not lose a game until you go to that three-row – the, th- the row of death, what I would call it, going to at right. Florida at Ole, or at Ole Miss, then at Florida, then Chattanooga, the Clemson. I think that – at worst, they go eight and four because of that, and I think at best they go they go ten and two with losses to Georgia and Clemson. I just I just don't see it happening this year. Yeah, I, I don't think it's impossible. Like I said, I'm just waiting. It's not to see possible, those. but I think it's less than likely in my opinion. Right. Right. I, I'm just I'm just in wait and see mode again. I need to see South Carolina take the next step in a couple of different areas. That's all I'll say about I it. But I I think the potential is there. I mean, again, if you beat Georgia, I think you're set up. You're you're in prime position to win the SEC East. You're in full control. And, again, that's going to come back to kind of one of the questions I had. If, if South Carolina beats Georgia, can they handle being the ones with the target on their back? Are they mature yeah. enough to handle prosperity and handle success and be able to be that team that everybody's coming after? So that'll be a big question as well. Um, that's pretty much going to do it for us. I mean, again, it's crazy to think next week we're going to be previewing the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, um, previewing the Gamecocks, you know, opening Gosh. game. I mean, it's – it's going to be game week, um, which I know I'm ecstatic, Tom. I know you're excited. Everybody's wow. really excited. You know, we finally get some football. We've actually got something on the field to talk about. Um, you know, obviously, fall practices have been closed. There really isn't anything coming out of fall camp at this point, uh, which is really good news, in my opinion. You know, as long as everyone's staying healthy, that's really all that matters. In my, come out of fall camp healthy, that's the best thing you can ask for. Um, Will Muschamp has his, his call-in show actually on Thursday, so I think that'll be something cool to tune into. But other than that, I mean, Tom, you got anything else? Any other news that's been going on? I know I, I don't want to forget about the uh, the commitment that South Carolina got last Friday um, from quarter, cornerback Cam Smith. That was a big commitment, big pickup. Tom, what was you know you're you're kind of our recruiting guru. What's uh what's kind of your take on that commitment? Uh, I mean, I think he's a good player. I think that he's going to be a guy that. A lot of people were saying he's the best DB to come out of South Carolina since Stephon Gilmore. I don't know about that because I don't really know the list of DBs since Stephon Gilmore played at South Carolina that's you know come out and played or played in the NFL or you know had successful college careers. But I think he's going to be a guy that's going to end up being a starter for South Carolina. You know, I just he's a big time commit because obviously you look at you know you lost on Jalen McConnell, so you had to get another guy, and Cam Smith was the guy they got. So I think I mean six one corner, you're going to take Monday through Sunday every day of the week. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, that, I know that's a big one they were trying to get. And forgive me because I'm going to screw this up and people are going to say that I don't know what I'm talking about, but the name is just slipping my mind. Who's the kid South Carolina got a week ago? They went, went into Georgia's backyard and DJ pulled him Daniel. out. DJ Daniel. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yep, yep. I I promise I know who he is, fans. He's I just – his name slipped my mind. But, yeah, I mean, that that's one too. You obviously wrote an article, but, I mean, that 
you know, that Tom coming from a recruiting perspective, that, that's a huge pickup, in my opinion, just because anytime you can go into the state of Georgia and pull a kid from pull a kid that UGA wants, I mean, that they definitely want that. That's a big win for Will Muschamp. I agree. I think that he, because obviously you look at it, he's won and lost some matchups with Curry Smart. And I think that winning DJ Daniel is going to go a really long way. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. But, yeah, like I said, I mean, other than that, that's pretty much going to do it. Tom, anything else I missed? Any other news going on? I mean, uh, other than some small stuff, really. I think that's I mean, pretty much it. Haven Jackson, you know, got the medical hardship discharge. Yep. They're going to honor a scholarship, which is great for him. Glad that he can get his degree. Um, Cam Smith, Jaquaz Sorrell, the defense tackle from Florida. He's between, I think, us and Oregon and another college I can get off the top of my head. He's coming in August 27th, uh, six days from now. He'll be a big, you know, you get him, you look at our defense line overall, it's looking pretty good for the 2019 class. But I think other than that, that pretty much sums it up. Obviously, you know, less than, you know, two weeks from game day. Yeah, definitely. We'll have uh, we'll have Sorrell's, you know, full commit- commitment coverage on Armchair South Carolina, so stay tuned for that. Obviously, a, you know, like you said, a really big one for the 2019 class. But, yeah, other than that, um, I think that's pretty much going to do it. Again, next time we come to you guys, we'll be talking about Coastal Carolina. It'll be game week. I know I'm fired up. Everybody's fired up, and we're looking forward to it. But other than that, appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Tori Gurley. And, again, we'll catch you next time. Stay tuned. All right, welcome to back to the Spurs Up show, part two. We're here with former South Carolina wide receiver Tori Gurley. Tori, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, great. We appreciate you going on, man. So just start out here. I want you to know, just talk about your time at South Carolina and you know your experience in Columbia. Oh, that was probably one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, having an opportunity to play for Coach Steve Spurrier and uh, just the amount of talent that he was able to recruit and the talent that we recruited ourselves. Uh, something that my class took pride in was uh, recruiting five-star guys and getting them to commit and sign. And um, for the most part, it was myself. Terrence Campbell, uh, Melvin Ingram, uh, we were guys that were literally undefeated when it came to getting guys to commit and sign on the spot. So uh, we were the best hosts, you know, South Carolina's ever had. <laughs> well, I think, you know, when you look at Twitter right now, you got a good challenger in Ryan Linsky with the way he's trying to get guys to commit left and right. You know, he's doing a great job. I think that class is shaping up really well, especially when you look at, you know, a guy like Zach Piggins, who I think kind of compares well to Melvin Ingram in terms of size and what they can do with defense line. But obviously, Melvin's have a very successful career in the NFL as a linebacker and not defense tackle. But, you know, yeah. um, you know, you say, you mentioned you played for, you know, Coach Spurrier. You know, in 2010, South Carolina obviously beat um, Alabama. How did how did he prepare you guys for that game? Um, it, was, it was a total effort from everyone, the way we were locked in and focused. Uh, Coach did what he normally would do, but uh, I'll never forget I went in his office to go over the game plan, and it was one of the first times I went in there and he didn't have his golf clubs in his hand. Like, he was all in watching film, and he really he really wanted to stick it to Nick Saban. And um, <laughs> just, that, just that entire week of practice, there were guys on a scout team that was uh, playing their part and doing what they were supposed to do, guys like Connor Shaw, Dylan Thompson. You know, I never forget watching guys like Nick Jones do well in practice. I mean, everybody was playing at a – at literally like an all SEC, all Madden type of level. And, you know, when we went out and, and uh, I'll never forget Saturday morning, I, wa- I was watching college game day and, you know, it was, I think it was Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso and all those guys. And then I'll never forget watching Lee Corso take the Alabama uh, elephant hat and put it on. And he said, Alabama was going to roll by, you know, two touchdowns or more. And that really just, it, it, it really pissed us off to where we was like, you know what? Let's go out here and prove it to the world. And I'll never forget, I stood at uh, midfield and I just looked Nick Saban in the eyes. And, I, and I, you know, I, the things I was thinking, I, I wasn't saying it out loud, but the stuff I was thinking, it was just – it was a different type of swagger we had that day. And when, yeah. we, when we went out and, and uh, scored on that first drive, literally the fans took over from there. I mean, it was – that game was over with. The only thing, South, only thing we had to do as a team was just go out and put some points on the board. And literally the defense stepped up. Special teams play well, and uh, Steven Garcia was just playing out of his mind that day. Yeah, you know, that's I think that's probably his most memorable performance as a player was when him going in and playing you know, so well against, you know, Alabama. And I think 
from a team perspective overall, when you look at what Alshon and Jeffrey did, I mean, it wasn't just – it wasn't one guy that stood out the entire game. It was a team effort, like you said. But, you know, you go from beating Alabama to the next week to going to Kentucky and losing. How do you how do you go from beating the best team in the country to beating a team that's, you know, probably really what – probably shouldn't even been in the same room with you guys? Uh, honestly, life was different. Uh, that, that week going into Alabama, i never forget, there were ESPN trucks around campus. And it was so much hype. And after we did go out and, and slaughter, you know, after David beat Goliath, um, life was different. I mean, we, we were already the big guys on campus, but it was just to another level. Like, I, I, I really don't remember paying for a dinner or anything after that because it was hmm. just – it was all good times. I mean, we really – wherever we went, people wanted to take autographs. I mean, people wanted to take pictures and sign autographs. And, you know, we really was feeling ourselves. And – the, the replays on Sports Center was, I mean, it was nonstop. I mean, that's all everyone talked about for a week straight. And Coach had some great sound bites that went along with all the analysts that, that was uh, rooting against us. So it was just one of those things where we just partied too much and we treated it like we won a national championship game instead of it just being, you know, a, a big game and, and us moving on to the next one. And um, that's something I see in Coach Muschamp where they literally take it day by day. Like, this guy's he believes in winning the day. He doesn't look ahead right now. They're all in with coastal Carolina. And then after that, they will game plan for Georgia. But that's what I really love about his philosophy. He, he's really just a meticulous guy and he, he knows what he wants in his scheme. He, he has exactly, exactly the type of players he wants to, to go out and execute defensively and offensively, just watching guys like uh, Brian Edwards and Debo, and shy just watching those guys grow as players as well as Jake Bentley. You know, I, I can see them winning these big games coming up and being able to just handle it instead of, you know, getting too high and too low. Well, you know, you talk about big games and something that South Carolina had to go do was go to the swamp that year in 2010 to, you know, secure the East and win that. What was the feeling of being on the only team in South Carolina history that's won the East? Honestly, it was, we knew we were going to do it. After we beat Alabama, we just had a different confidence and, we had Auburn down. We had them down 21-7 to at Auburn. And that's when Cam Newton turned into Superman and, you know, the rest is history. But as a team, I mean, we, just from top to bottom, we had NFL guys. I mean, you go back and you just start reading the names off. Almost, I think, I think maybe 22 guys had opportunity to play in the NFL. We had numerous draft picks, but I'm talking about guys being on game day rosters. So it just showed, it, it just proved that we had the depth that, you know, the, the, the big the big dogs would have. And we went out there and competed and played as hard as we could. And and, and just having that crowd behind us at William Bryce, I mean, it's, it's nothing like it. I mean, I, I, when I was in the NFL, I would tell guys, I would bet our fans against their fans because I know South Carolina and, and Gamecock Nation, they, they show up and show out. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. You know, being a fan and going to several games, it's a different atmosphere, I think, than anywhere else I've ever been in my life, you know. It's a crazy thing to see, but, you know, obviously you played in the only SEC championship South Carolina's ever been in. Obviously, Cam went off that game, got wasn't a great score for us, but what was it like to see him, you know, just go off in that game and not be able to do anything about it? I mean, he just showed why he was a Heisman Trophy winner, and, and they had a phenomenal season. I mean, there were a, a lot of games they were down a lot, and they was able to come back and win, and the ball just bounced their way. I mean, we I truly believe if – you know, if we go down and uh, right before halftime, he throws a Hail Mary and, and completes it for a touchdown. I believe if that ball hits the ground, it's a different type of game. But obviously fate will have it in a different way where the ball bounced into a receiver's hand. And that really just – I mean, that, that took the air out of our cell. I, I remember looking the guys in, in, in the eyes in the locker room and we just we were like, damn, as, as we're playing as hard as we can. We're doing everything we're supposed to do. And things were just going against us. And from there, that's when uh, the coaches and the players kind of went into a panic mode and we got away from our game plan. We started throwing the ball around all over the place and going three and out, leaving the defense on the field. And then Cam was just shredding. And so, you know, things, it, it started as, you know, a snowball effect. But looking back at it now, you know, I, those are things that, you know, I still hold near and dear to my heart because that's something that no other team in South Carolina, South Carolina history has ever been able to do. But I feel like this year uh, the Gamecocks have opportunity to, to represent the East this year in the SEC championship game. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think South Carolina, especially beats Georgia week two, they're going to have a really good chance. But 
you know, you only played at South Carolina for two years and you decided to go pro, didn't get drafted. What what decision what, – what was the ultimate decision or what were the factors that led to the ultimate decision of you to leave school early and go to the NFL? I got tired of playing uh, football for free. You know, I was looking around and I wanted an opportunity to get paid. Um, I was older and I was a 22-year-old sophomore, so I understood – my my shelf life in the NFL would be short, so I want no matter what my numbers were, I was going to go to the NFL and play. And and you know, by the grace of God, I ended up making the team as an undrafted free agent. Um, got my pension, and while I was in the league, I would always go back and take one class at South Carolina while I was working on my degree. And um, things ended up working itself out at the end where I graduated and ended up retiring from the, the Canadian Football League, and now. You know, I got a nice little gig with the SEC Network, and I'm also headed to London this year to cover the NFL games. The NFL is sending me there as well. So my broadcasting and analyst careers, you know, it's about to take off. You know, I you know I have seen that recently, especially with you going on Fine Bomb and stuff like that. I think you're doing a really good job out there. But, um, you know, you went around, I think I looked at about seven practice squads for about, you know, a four-year span. Why, why do you think you could just never stick in one place in the NFL? Honestly, it was uh, it was a decision I made back in training camp when I was with the Packers. Uh, I, I wasn't patient. Um, I, I ended up making a practice squad with the Packers, and then they bumped me up to the active roster. And then the following year, Donald Driver retired. So in my mind, I had it made up that I was going to be on the team. Like I every you know I was listening to the people in in the media, and they were telling me that you know okay this is girly spot to have, and you know I ended up getting hurt in training camp. And things didn't work out the way I thought they were going to work out. Things never go as planned. And uh, I ended up getting beat out by Jarrett Boykin from Virginia Tech. He was another undrafted free agent. He beat me out. And instead of me talking to Aaron Rodgers and and making an adult, a a mature decision, I ended up getting pissed off and I just left. I didn't talk to anyone. You know, they they wanted to bring me back on the practice roster. Uh, They were going to bump my pay up. But I just felt that I felt in my heart I, I needed to be on a 53 man roster because I was there for two years. I didn't have patience. And I ended up talking to Aaron years later. And Aaron kind of looked, we looked at each other and laughed because he was like, Tori, I had to sit behind Britt for three or four years. <laughs> so, you know, it was one of those things like as a player, you know, at the time when you're young and you're just trying to be the best person you can be, sometimes you make the wrong decisions because you're not patient. And, um, you know, that's something I was able to learn. And from there, you know, when you join somebody else's roster during the season, if an injury happens, whoever is the last person in is usually the first one to leave. And that's what happened. Like, there were several injuries. Like, if you go back and look at the paper trail of what happened, it never was the skill part. Because, obviously, when I went up to Canada to play ball, well, I made the team. I made the uh, team in Cleveland, and I played, and I had the opportunity to do my, you know, to show my talent. But there was a guy named Josh Gordon who ended up having an all-pro season, and me and him played the same position. So they end up – obviously, Josh ended up becoming a, a pro bowler that year. And that was uh, my last year in the NFL, and I ended up going to Cleveland. And I was able to lead the league in touchdowns and make plays and show people that I did have a full skill set. But I was just I was just a guy who had pro bowlers in front of me, like literally from – Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobb. And then when I went to Cleveland, there was Josh Gordon. So i always been in the locker rooms with pro bowlers. You know, I think if you – especially if you look at this Cleveland situation with Josh Gordon, you know, just a guy that everyone talks about as the most talented in the world but just can't get on the field because of all-field issues. But, you know, you obviously left the NFL went to the CFL. You had 10 touchdowns in your first season with the Toronto Argonauts. I think that's how you say yeah. it. Uh-huh. Okay. How do you how do you have so much success in your first year in the CFL? Because the game plan was around me. You know, obviously when I was with the Green Bay Packers and I was there, it was all about getting. It, Jordy was the third or fourth receiver at the time. Really, the, the guys were Greg Jennings and Jamichael Finley, and he was all pro type of. He was all pro tight end before he had a neck injury. But I mean, we were when I was playing with the Packers, we were fifteen and one. So there really wasn't a need for receivers you know at the time Randall Cott was just a punt and kickoff returner he was getting in on third down packages but you know they the year before they won the Super Bowl so it was I think that was one of the best things that happened to me was me sitting back and learning from those guys because when I actually had a real opportunity to to showcase my skill 
I was able to do that in Canada, and it was it really was off the things I learned in Green Bay. Well, you obviously, you know, were successful. You had three good years in the CFL, but, you know, obviously you just retired from there, and you just got some fame from going on the Paul Feinbaum show. Talk about South Carolina, and, you know, you said you said they'd beat Georgia week two. You said you were calling it then. And uh, what do you think about this up, this team and this upcoming season, and why do you think they'll beat Georgia week two? Um, they're a year older. You know, it's Coach Muschamp been around for – this is third year. These guys are growing right in front of our eyes. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be in the building. I get to sit in on meetings and practice, and I'm all access. So I, I get to watch these things firsthand. And I've sat down and watched film with the coaches and the players of Georgia. And obviously, uh, in the college football playoff, Baker Mayfield really had the game won. I, I don't see how – it was unbelievable how Georgia came back and won, but Baker shredded them. Baker in Oklahoma, they went out and, you know, they scored close to, what, 40-plus points. But Georgia was able to get the win at the end. And then in the uh, national championship game, just watching some of the things they were doing in the fourth quarter, how they gave up a big play in overtime, you know, it just shows that there was a lot of there was a lot of weaknesses on that Georgia defense that people are not talking about. You know, they're so infatuated with uh, they're a stable of running backs. But honestly, when you have two running backs that are worth 2,500 yards rushing and 31 touchdowns, that's hard to replace. And a lot of those guys were – they were underrated in picking up blitzes and just protecting Jake from, I mean, he had a very easy job. So I think this year they struggle a little bit coming out of the gate. Obviously whoever they play week one is probably a cupcake. They're going to smash them, but coming on the road and playing South Carolina, I think that's the last place you, you trying to put a team together. I think if the, you know, maybe if they play South Carolina later on during the season, they might have a better shot, but week two with them still trying to figure out who they are and their identity as a team. I like South Carolina with, with the win. You know, and I agree. I think that you don't just replace Nick Chubb and uh, Sonny Michelle, and especially look on defense. You know, Raquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter, both guys that you know got yeah, drafted. First round, yeah, first very round high picks. picks. Like you don't replace those guys in a year, and, and you know, obviously they got a lot of talent in the morning recruiting class, but they're intangibles that come with being you know a Roquan Smith that you don't you're not yeah, going to exactly. see in everyday players that people I don't think people are kind of overlooking there but obviously you're getting a lot more access you know to SEC network and doing stuff there you talked about some of your other projects earlier but what are some upcoming things you're working on and what's your future looking like you know in media uh just more upcoming projects uh during this during uh the summer I uh, came up with a, a mini series called run your own race is uh exclusive on my Instagram and it's basically the untold story of an undrafted free agent. Like, there are so many things that Hard Knocks and these other shows, they leave out because no one is paying attention to the undrafted guy. So I literally just sat down one day and, and took a pen and pencil and, and just started writing down some of my experiences. And before I knew it, I mean, I, I had a whole mini series, so I have that. Um, also went to the NFL broadcast boot camp. You know, I was uh, – Blessed to hang around guys like uh, James Brown, uh, Dick Maxwell, uh, people from ESPN, Fox, and CBS. And they really liked me. I was one of the best campers there. And it, it's created more opportunities for me to, to brand myself. And, you know, the NFL is sending me to London to cover the games this year uh, with Sky Network. So I, I'm just, you know, I'm really just excited about all these new opportunities and I just want to represent the game cognition well. It's something that South Carolina is really – we haven't had is uh, a television personality. Like Sterling Sharp, you know, he, he would do the NFL network, but he really didn't talk about college football. And it's too many great South Carolina players to come through the, the SEC rankings and not to have someone to, to celebrate their accomplishments in all sports. You know, Asia Wilson in basketball, uh, John Dre Jefferson – he played on a men's basketball team, but this guy is a four-year champion in, in the uh, in the basketball tournament, in the TBT. He's won it four years in a row for a million dollars. So, just all these things, just keeping up with the with the Gamecocks and, and just celebrating us as a as as a team and as a family because you know there's a lot of people doing great things out here. Well, obviously, we're proud of you and the work you're doing. You know, shining more light on Gamecock Nation and. You know, make sure everybody go check out on Tori's, you know, your Instagram, right? You know, run yeah, your own race. Yeah. That's okay. Uh -huh. yeah, make sure everybody make sure you go check that out. Follow Tori on everything. Tori, really appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good one. All right. Appreciate it, man.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.